Hi, thank you for joining us here at Two Rogue Studios. My name is Rhea Dark. This week, we shift to learn how to succeed in the new beginning. So have you seen the new film Encanto? In that film, there is a character and he shapeshifts a lot, right? He shapeshifts to whoever he's with and he tends to connect with people, right? Because he becomes kind of a mirror of that individual. And so my question is to all of us, as we go into the new reality, as we know that, you know, unless of course you've been incredibly cloistered or, you know, completely removed from reality, right? You know that the world itself has shifted over the past couple of years. So I want you to channel the shapeshifter. And I want you to think about that in this new beginning, how are you going to shift? What are some of those modifications that you're going to make so that you can be the best version of yourself, that you can be in this new beginning? What's going to be new about you? Where have you grown? What are some things about yourself that don't serve you anymore that you are going to abandon? The best time to shift is now. Get engaged with your new world. Find the unusual opportunities that it has created. And now for this week's quote, miracles are a shift in perception. And that is a quote by Kenneth Wapnick, who is the author of The Course of Miracles. And if you haven't checked it out, give it a check out. The Course of Miracles has been said to be one of the most important documents of our time. And now on to our guest for this week. Eric Osquani is the author of Becoming Einstein's Teacher, Awakening the Genius in Your Student. What a timely book right now with all of the challenges and the changes that we've been seeing in school systems, particularly in this public school sphere. She's also the co-founder and the CEO of Learning One to One, where along with experts, she explores ways to foster human achievement through relational learning. And that's, that's actually a new concept even for me, you know, as a parent of three children and someone who kind of is in the business about learning and how the brain works. So I'm really excited to hear a lot more about that, even though, I've, of course, I've looked it up, but to hear it from an expert is something different. So before co-founding Learning One to One, Twani was Microsoft's education industry director around the world on the use of technology and education. So she's also going to talk about AI and biological learning, also super interesting uh, in education, and has written various articles on the topic. And she's also worked in the public and the private school systems to help guide this practical use of relational learning. And I'm going to be honest, I find it really hard to imagine this being brought into the public school system. My kids do attend public school, and I, I know what a challenge it is in terms of limited resources. Uh, so I'm excited to hear some of those applications. And she's led learning one-to-one -one in five countries in the first year alone, touching more than lives of more than hundreds of thousands of students. And she's here to touch the lives of all of us here today. Welcome, Asquani. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Ria. 
So as I talked about in your book, Becoming Einstein's Teacher, Awakening the Genius uh, in Your Student, and I had talked about this, you know, you do talk about the interest between, the, the difference, excuse me, between artificial intelligence and biological learning. So artificial intelligence type learning and biological learning, and the differences between what artificial intelligence can do and what biological intelligence can do. And I know a lot of parents out there are, are wondering about this because a lot of the schools, their platforms went virtual and they were using software and things of that nature. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And then I want to ask a piggyback question to that, which is, can it ever be that teachers can be replaced by AI and these digital type platforms? Absolutely. So it's very interesting what you're asking, because this is one of the things that struck me the most. My background is engineering. It's not education. So I joined forces with the education experts to found uh, learning one-to-one. Now, when we talk about artificial intelligence, it's very important to understand why, why do we talk about even uh, artificial, to consider something artificial intelligence. We just know biological intelligence, which, which is our brain, right? So a little bit of biology, our brain has 100 billion neurons. So when those neurons get together, they form a neural network. Right? So, so when they form neural networks, is some, when we learn something, like for instance, you learn to ride a bike, there's a neural network in your brain that allows you to ride a bike regardless of whether you rode when you're seven years old or when you are 70 years old. Now, artificial intelligence does not have neurons. Mm-hmm. What it has is a bunch of data, right? So for instance, when you search something in Google, Google brings all, all the topics, like when you search artificial intelligence, you're going to learn about horses and definition and this and that, and movies about artificial intelligence. People, well, people asked about it, so it's forming this huge neural network of data, and it gets, um, it gets the information to you. That's exactly what our brain does. That's why it's called artificial intelligence. So basically now, our brain is the entire World Wide Web? That is correct. Ah. That is very correct. So here's the, the trick. In our brains, to glue those neurons together, there's something called neurotransmitters. So those neurotransmitters are the ones that make us feel happy, sad, you know, all of those sensations as we have as human beings. Now, artificial intelligence does not have neurotransmitters. So it plays with our neurotransmitters. And that's why you cannot get, you know, you cannot get unglued of your phone when you're doing something, when, you know, you get distracted easily because artificial intelligence, pretty much what it's doing is pushing your neurotransmitters to work in neurobiological intelligence. So that's why we have so much trouble with the kids being distracted, you know, the the parents not paying attention. You know, you see so many times you go to dinner and you see two a couple together and each of them are in the phone and not talking to each other. So that's artificial intelligence getting your attention. Wow. Wow. And that's, that's, that's pretty hard. That's pretty hard. That's our, that's the world that we're living today. And our children are not prepared for that. Right. So that said, when we think about utilizing these types of platforms, digital platforms and so on and so forth, 
Do you feel as if, you know, since they do connect with the neurons, is this a better platform? Because maybe we will get kids' attention or what do we think about, you know, teachers versus these types of things, I wonder? So there's many, many studies about this, many books that you can read. And one of the most important things that uh, in research that we found is that we need to develop learning autonomy. Because once you develop learning autonomy, you develop a series of skills that will allow you to identify the situation you're at, right? And then cut it off. So for instance, in the schools that we work with that uh, use relational learning, they have a specific step to work on research. That's when they touch the computer. That's, that's how they use the computer. Whereas if you are in a boring class that nothing interests you, of course, you're going to pay attention to things that are catching your attention. You're yeah. crying and you're craving for that because your neurotransmitters are already all fired up for that. So is there a, a better app uh, to teach kids? I wouldn't say so. What I would say is that we need to make sure that our biological intelligence has the right learning process in place so we can see what's going on outside. There's no way we're going to kill artificial intelligence. Mm. There's no way we're going to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it's pretty good for us. I mean, can you go anywhere without Google Maps? Right Around the, uh, cor around the corner. <laughs> would you go back? Would you go back to buy CDs and, and no, CD players? Definitely not. If you have a whole world of music and Apple Music keeps on suggesting to you what's next, would you, would you go to you know, watch videos on a DVD player no. when when Netflix can suggest you the next series that you're going to like, we're not going back. Right, right. Artificial intelligence is here to stay. Right, right. So, and then in the classroom, though, in terms of is the teacher still going to be essential? I mean, or, or is that something that we're going to move away from? And is that why relational... Learning is so important because that's what teachers need to do. The teaching part, we can use AI, but the teachers need to develop the relationship to inspire learning. Is that what we're talking about here? So think about a marathon runner. A marathon runner has a coach. And the coach will say, do this, do that, train like this, train like that, you know, and then divide on the days what you have to do. And then the limit, the only one that knows the limit is the runner, not the coach, the runner, right? So that's learning autonomy when we transfer that to into a classroom. So besides that, the runner has a lot of technology, it has a watch to measure the heart rate. It has special tennis shoes. It has special headphones. It has Bluetooth and this and that, right? So there's all these technologies surrounding the runner. But at the end of the day, the runner has to do the work. He has, he has to train. He has to run 5K, run, run the 26K. The runner does the work. The coach is there just to coach. So it's the same thing. In the classroom, the teacher is coaching students to learn how to learn. Each day, little by little, adjust here, adjust there, until the learner has fully engaged in that whole learning process. But that's so challenging, Eric. I yes. get this all the time. That's so challenging yeah. because how am I going to do this? So you have three kids, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. And many of, of the people that are listening to us today 
have two, three kids. Me and your teachers have 25 kids in the classroom. <laughs> How am I going to give a special attention to each of them and, you know, understand exactly what they want and what they do? Well, uh, we develop their learning autonomy. Imagine if your kids all depended on you to go anywhere or to walk or to eat or to do all the basic things that they do today because they develop their autonomy. It's the same thing as uh, with teachers in the classroom. As we develop the learning autonomy of students, students require less and less coaching of teachers. That's why, Ria, that many programs, online programs, like how to run better, how to run a marathon, mm -hmm. how to do this and how to do that. That's why they work so well, because it's on the runner, the initiative to run and the, and the willingness to do all the work. Right. But, you know, I, I think about, you know, in terms of like public schools, they're under such pressure for students to pass and to perform. So like if you're a coach, the kids that you're coaching, you get to choose them, right? You're not a, you, they try out for the team. If you think they're coachable, they come onto the team. If they're not, you know, better luck next time. You got to work hard. To, so how does that work in a public school system? Private school, of course, is something different. But in a public school system where everybody has to be admitted, what do we do if they're not coachable? Or do you think with relational learning, that's just not a thing, or we need to change our standards, how we determine success? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. You're measuring on, the, on one side, you're starting from the side of the system is out there, there's those rules and regulations, right? And we have to follow this curriculum, and we have to follow this uh, whatever rules that the system has to do. But we started from the other side. We started from the following. Think about it. All of us breathe, right? I actually wrote an article about it. Okay. Why? Because we have lungs. Everybody has lungs. Does it matter if you live in the United States or if you live in South Africa? Yeah. No. You have lungs, you breathe. Everybody walks because everybody has two legs and, and, and feet, right? I and mean, provided that they're healthy and you can walk. Now, everybody can learn because all of us have a brain. And we start from the same way. I mean, if, if we wouldn't learn anything, I mean, kids wouldn't know how to walk. They wouldn't know the language of their country. They wouldn't know how the social norms function. They wouldn't know, I mean, what kid in the world cannot ride a bike, right? right. So everybody can learn. And we start from the wrong point of view. We should start from everybody can learn. And given that, it doesn't matter the curriculum. It doesn't matter if you have technology or not. It doesn't matter if, if you are studying in a rural or urban school. It doesn't matter if you are, um, if you have the best textbooks or no textbooks mm -hmm. at all, because those are, this is reality because we work with schools like that. Mm -hmm. uh, when the brain commits to learn, it will learn. And I have tons of stories in my book. Mm -hmm. So the, the listeners can uh, read it. And there'll be a lot of stories about how children are overcoming themselves, mm. you know, to this, to, to, to learning. The, the difficulty we, we realized, it was really difficult for people to understand how the brain works and how I want to engage students, etc. What we did is we simplified that in six steps. And that's what the book 
talks about using those six steps, any teacher, anywhere, regardless of the, whether they have a master's degree or not, they will be able to use with students. And we've seen students uh, like, you know, every single type of student learn the six steps and with the six steps, even if they had like, let's say a brain injury, even if they had blind kids, mm -hmm. all sorts of background, because we start from something that is very important besides the brain. Every child is unique and they deserve their learning is personalized to each of them. And then for our listeners, uh, we will have the links to Erica Twani's website. It's Erica Twani with a K, Erica Twani.com. Of course, we'll also will have the links to her book, which is you can find on Amazon. And there's also lots of great testimonials, too, on your website. I was reading some of the testimonials or people were saying, you know, this is genius. This is amazing, right? Relational learning was really the thing that took that, their classroom, probably using those six steps that you were talking about. But you also talk about in your book, you also talk about Einstein. So Einstein, of course, you know, first they thought he wasn't very intelligent. Was it relational learning that brought out the genius in him? Um, I'll tend to say yes, but it was later in his life. Everybody knows that Einstein was a genius, but did you know that he dropped out of high school? Mm. Did you know that he was a really bad, he had bad behavior, terrible behavior. His teachers used to say, no, this kid is not going to amount to much. Uh, you can quit. That's it. Did you know that? I did not. He quit, let's say, something equivalent of a ninth grade, which is typical, mm -hmm. especially here in the United States. And he went to help his father in this uh, northern Italy to help him recuperate the business. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Switzerland to a specific school. And in that school, it was exactly what we do today. He developed each student individually. You know, he considered each student a unique person, deserved of having a personalized learning. And he was like, there's no uh, memorization here. You got to do from your own will and your own uh, words. You got to say and you got to uh, share what you have learned and ex exactly what we do today. Wow. So, yes, he was inspired in this school in Switzerland that Pestalozzi was the genius that came up with this, this whole methodology. Mm -hmm. Now, here's something very interesting, a teaser okay. for our listeners. Go for today. it. So Horseman was the one that created the public school system in the U.S. He first traveled to Europe. He visited many, many, many countries. And he ended up in Prussia. And Prussia was the strong economy at that time. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a very important country. Mm -hmm. And uh, he copied the system there not knowing that that system was prepared was to prepare soldiers for the war. Most. <laughs> so wow. he brought that system back to, uh, back to the United States. But don't take me wrong, Horace Mann had the greatest intentions. Sure, so sure. you're going to read the book. You're going to wow. understand what I say. Wow. Now, here's the trick. Prussia was next to Switzerland. So if he had gone a little bit farther... East, he could have brought this exactly system back to the wow. US, the same system that made Einstein 
Einstein. Wow. Can you imagine that? I, I'm, I'm ima- right. I'm, no, I'm imagining it because I have a ninth grader who's like struggling with school and it makes me wonder too, how many, how many kids could be Einstein's if they had been in the right learning environment. And before we go, I have a question for, I know parents are probably asking this question right now. Is there like a, a, a list of schools that use this method that parents can like maybe find and say, this is where my kid needs to go if they have children who are failing and they're not enjoying their educational experience? So I would recommend them to contact me. And depending on the location they're at, we can recommend some public schools. We work with uh, many public schools, but we not we work with uh, public schools in many countries, many different countries. So. I would recommend them to send me a message. Okay. Okay. The, uh, I'm going to be one of the first people sending you a message <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> sure. Right. For sure. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I uh, really, I'm definitely looking forward to that. It's definitely an eye opener. And I know public school has been, you know, under a lot of scrutiny lately. I know there was a book released recently about talking about how it's not really setting our kids up to succeed. And I love the idea that you're working within the system and that people, teachers, can, you know, from where they are, they can adopt this relational learning system, the six point thing that you were, the system you're talking about and really give, give kids a lot of hope and, you know, give us some more Einsteins. We need some more Einsteins for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on our show today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ria. And now a word from our person on the street. What are my thoughts on having the ability to shift? This is actually something that I kind of think about all the time because, for example, I got a really broad degree and sometimes I think, well, if I had more of a specific idea of what I wanted to do going into college, I could have gone into a more specialized program. Um, But I really think that I'm just glad that I got a broader degree because uh, it gives me the ability to shift very easily. Like I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things I want to do in life. And I'm really thankful that I can easily just go from one thing to another. I have a variety of skill sets and a broad background and I can easily shift my focus um, as far as my career goals and my life goals. And I think for the modern day, that's something that a lot of employers really look for. And I think that's something that really gives you longevity both personally and professionally. all the time we have for today folks and thanks so much for joining us here at two rogue studios and a big thanks to our producer the big Lebowski, Paige Lebowski. and you can find out more about her at her website pagelebowski.com or about all of us here at team two rogues at two rogues.com that's the number two and the word rogues.com we look forward to seeing you next time thanks again for joining us my name is Rhea Dark